Now, not all of us look that much like our folks, but when I got thinking about this text, I thought, it's got to be Owen and David. It's got to be Owen and David. All right. So we're in Ephesians 4, 8 through 13 tonight, gifts from the conquering Christ. And I remind you once again, this is a little bit artificial because we're just, we're just dropping down into part of this letter. We've been tracking along a few verses at a time. But we read these words beginning in verse 8. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Then in parentheses, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attained to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature, stature would be like height, of the fullness of Christ. So, as we look at this, we're going to start off with, what about these gifts, the occasion for these gifts? So, first thing, when I tackle a text, I want to I want to know what the words are referring to. And so, you know, when I see a word like, therefore, we want to know what it's there for. What is therefore referring to? What, it, what is he talking about? Therefore. I can't really understand what this text is going to say if I haven't been paying attention to what it said just before this. Well, the verse right before we're told, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. He's been talking about how the church, um, how the church serves one another and how we walk in a way that's worthy of our calling and treat one another with humility and, and love and that kind of thing. And we might look at that and say, you know, how do we preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace? How do we actually do that? I mean, people are always at each other's throats. It's very easy for people to be divided. How do we have this unity? How do we, how do we have this attitude toward one another? And we're told that, well, it's because of God's grace given to us. And it's grace given to every single one of us. Um, according to the measure, so in keeping with the measure of Christ's gift, okay? So, for you and me to be able to serve one another in love, maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, we need God's grace, and we need a lot of it. Every single one of us needs a lot of it with whatever gifts we have, so that the way we use our gifts will work toward uh, unity in the body. And the, and the amount that we need is an amount that is according to what Christ has given, okay? So, that's the first word. I've got to, I've got to, then I see these words. It says. Therefore, it says. Who said? It says. Oh, it says. That doesn't make any sense unless I know who it is. 
Well, you'll see the quotation marks. Uh, actually, you don't see them here. We'll put the quotation marks in. Okay, there are quotation marks in our text. So, it says, is referring to somebody that said this line. And you say, well, where would that somebody be? Now, what do the apostles do when they're trying to prove something? They will actually, where do you think they quote from? This is in the New Testament. Where do you think they quote from? Yeah, they quote from the, they quote from the Old Testament, and in particular, this quotation comes from Psalm 68:18. It is Psalm 68. Okay? So this is what Psalm 68, 18 says, you ascended on high, talking to God, leading a host of captives in your train, just like a conquering hero, and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. So receiving gifts speaks of the spoils of war. When you conquer a land, the, the winners, to the winner goes the spoils. They gather these spoils of war, and then the conqueror, in turn, will distribute those spoils of war, those tokens of victory, the, the, what was gained. He distributes them to the people. Now, if you look at Psalm 68 further, and obviously, we could take a lot more time than we've got tonight in, in opening up this text. But if you look at Psalm 68 further, you'll find that it commemorates the Lord's deliverance of His people Israel from Egypt, leading them out during the Exodus, and then guiding them through the wilderness, and giving them the law at Mount Sinai through Moses. It actually refers to Mount Sinai. And so, just as Moses received the law of God at Sinai and then distributed it to the people, so Christ received the Spirit. Christ is the anointed one, anointed with the Spirit, and distributed the Spirit to His people. Remember when, when God promised the new covenant that would come rather than the old covenant under Moses, He said that God would write His law in their hearts. Well, how's that going to happen? It's going to happen by the gift of the Spirit. We talked about the Spirit just this morning. And so, this psalm is anticipating that greater victory. It looks back to Sinai, but it's looking forward to Christ as well, and that's what Paul quotes. He is quoting a a victor's um, getting this great victory, great spoils of war, and then taking those spoils of war and giving those gifts to men. Christ won this amazing victory on the cross, this amazing victory at the tomb, and because He won that victory, He now can give to us gifts that we could never have had otherwise. Think about it. We couldn't have had eternal life. We couldn't have had the Spirit of God indwelling us, transforming us, unless Christ's work had actually happened successfully. And so he explains further in verses 9 and 10 in saying, oh, excuse me, I skip. I want, I want to, I don't want you to think I'm just flying off board here. Acts 2.33, Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost, and this is what he said about Jesus. Look at the language. It's very similar to Psalm 68. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, 
And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Remember, that was the day when the Spirit came on the church, and they're speaking in tongues, they're drawing a crowd, they give the gospel, a whole bunch of other people are saved, 3,000 that day, added to the 120 that were, were seeking the Lord in the upper room. So here, here you have that special day. And what's, what's really interesting, too, is that this particular psalm was used as part of the celebration on the day of Pentecost among the Jews. So Paul is tying all this together. Now, in verse 9, he says, in saying, he ascended. So what does ascend mean? Okay, so if I'm going to ascend, I'm ascending the steps. That means that first, I had to descend. If I'm going to go up, I have to have been down, okay? So, Christ, who is God the Son, eternally God the Son, living in heaven, He had to descend first if He's going to ascend. So, in saying He ascended, what does it mean? But that He had also descended into the lower regions, and some will translate of the earth, our translation has said the earth because you can take the lower regions, that is the earth, okay? The lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So you have, if you've got an ascending, then you have to have a descending. Descending means you're going down. Ascending means you're going up. Far above all the heavens, Christ has been exalted. Okay? So, since Christ's ascension refers to his return to heaven after his victory over sin and death, it's natural then to take his descending to the lower regions as reference to his humiliation of the incarnation of his coming to earth in the first place. And that's the way our translators are taking it. Uh, some have taken it over time as a reference to his descending into the grave or even into Hades, um, but that's not necessary for this text. They connect it with some other texts, um, but it's largely interpretative. I actually like the way our translation, personally, the way our translation has taken this where the descent was coming to earth, the ascent is going to heaven. That's the contrast. So the question then is, what gifts did Christ give to men when he ascended? Okay, the occasion of giving these gifts is when he ascended. Well, we know that he gave the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and he says, you know, I have to go away or the Helper won't come. And through the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, He gave spiritual gifts. And these gifts to the church come through persons in the church who are to exercise those gifts. So that leads us to looking at what are the identity of these gifts. And to do that, we need to flip the page. All right, so here we have the gifts. He gave the apostles, the prophets, 
the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Now, what do you notice about all these gifts? What, what kind of gifts are they? Are they things? No, what are they? They're people, okay? And I think this is important for us to recognize that even the spiritual gifts that God distributes of any kind are distributed via or through people. They're not just sitting there like a Christmas gift under the tree. God gives them through people. Whatever spiritual gifts you have that would benefit the church, He's giving through you to the church. And the same is true of these, this particular group. So let's look at what these gifts are. So, and these aren't all the gifts. We can go to other passages and we can find other gifts that are listed. But you have apostles, you have prophets, you have evangelists, and actually these go together. The way it's written, these are one and the same. Shepherds and teachers, or pastors and teachers. Pastor just means shepherd, okay? So, shepherds and teachers. So, apostles literally mean sent ones. They're sent. This part of it talks about the sending, and this is from. So, they're, they're individuals sent from God to men. These were the men who had seen Jesus Christ. They were given his gospel to share and God authenticated their work with miracles so that people knew that, that they were actually speaking from God. They were the ones that God used to write the New Testament. Okay? So, the apostles. The prophets, a prophet, by definition, old or new, hears from God and speaks to people. If he speaks to people without hearing from God, he's not a prophet in the right sense, okay? And so, think about it. It was not until about A.D. 48, Christ ascended to heaven probably around A.D. 30, um, so roughly 18 years before there was even one book of the New Testament, probably the book of James, and then you had the rest of the New Testament written between 48 all the way to mid-90s, if our dating is, is correct on that. Well, that means that besides the apostles, there needed to be some people that would hear from God and speak to people. Now, you had to give them the same test you did in the Old Testament. Whatever they taught had to match what had already been written, or else they were not true prophets. And, and God just wails on people like Jeremiah 23 who go preach who didn't get a message from God. They're just getting it from their, their fellow, okay? So, these people will do that. Now, today, that's the New Testament's been written. That's not necessary. Um, how do we hear from God? Well, we've gotten the written Word of God, the Old Testament and the New, and those that take what God has said, they listen to it, they present it to others, are doing much of what the prophets did. Prophet doesn't just mean that you're predicting. It's more about telling what God said. Sometimes God talks about the future. Sometimes God talks about the present or the past. But what makes him a prophet is not that he's predicting the future, but that he's speaking what God said. 
And so one of the tests that you want to apply whenever you're hearing somebody teach is, is if they're saying that they're if they're saying they're teaching what God has said, make sure they're teaching what God has said and not something different, that it matches up. And then the evangelist, this is actually like a transliteration of the term we would, uh, we talk about evangelizing. Well, what is it that, that translates a word, when we evangelize, we are giving the what? The good news. And what is the term that we use for good news? gospel, okay? These are gospelizers. These are those that are really gifted at uh, explaining the gospel and sharing the gospel. Um, they, they may have been the, the, the church planters of the first century. You see the way Paul um, went and evangelized, and they formed churches and got them started. Um, they could refer to the ones that actually wrote the Gospels, the four Gospels, but these are those that are teaching the Gospel. And then the shepherds and teachers are those that care for the flock of God, lead and feed the flock of God as they teach the Word of God. And these shepherd teachers, also called overseers and elders, are what are established in each one of the churches. So, these are all people but these particular gifts, they all have a similar function. What is the similar function? What is similar about these gifts? Like, it doesn't talk so much about, um, like, gift of helps or gift of discernment or other kinds of, of gifts or gifts of miracles or gifts of tongues or that kind of thing. What, what is it? What do all these people do? Okay? These are all teaching gifts. These, in some fashion or another, all of these are taking a message from God and delivering it to people. Our, our faith is a revealed faith. It's a faith rooted in the Scriptures and what God has taught. And so these persons were given to the church. So when we talk about um, somebody particularly that's serving in the church as a shepherd teacher as an elder, as an overseer, he's part of, in our church, he'd be part of the pastoral body, okay? And, and each one of those men, they're not all teaching um, on Sunday morning, but they are teaching, they're ministers of the word to people throughout the week in various kinds of ways. They're ministering, they're managing, they're caring for the flock of God. And the question comes like, okay, what are Okay, they're teachers, but like, what is that for? What, what are they supposed to be doing? Like, when I fill out my, um, my taxes, when I'm filing for taxes, my job title for the IRS is called minister. Okay? But, but we're going to see that that's actually the job title for all the saints, so we go, to ver we go to number three, we go to verse 12, we see the function of these gifts. What are they, what's the job description? What are they supposed to be able to do? Well, we're told what they're supposed to be doing. They're supposed to be doing this, equipping. Okay? That word is used for fishermen mending nets 
or for a doctor setting a bone. So I like to define it this way, that equipping means you're making something functional. You're making it work. Maybe it was broken, maybe it was torn, and, and now you're going to help make it work. Well, what are they supposed to help make work? It's not something. It's actually the saints. So, ooh, wait, wait a minute. Those are like people that walk around with halos in their head, right? The saints. Um, or maybe after they're dead, we decide they're saints. Know that the saint, a person who's a saint, is a holy person. What makes the person holy? It means that, that person belongs to God. So they're supposed to equip everybody in the church who belongs to God. That means you, that means me, okay? All of us are to be equipped. Well, what are we, why are we being equipped? Why are we getting this equipment? Why are we being made functional? Why do we need, okay, here's, what, here's what's making us functional. It's the Word being taught in its various ways. Uh, you remember that the Word is profitable for doctrine, reproof, instruction, um, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work, okay? So, they're equipping all the saints. What are they equipping them for? Well, they're equipping them for work. What kind of work? The work of ministry. Now, this is a, a common word. It essentially means serving. It could be referring to somebody serving you as a table waiter. It, it, it could be serving in any kind of capacity. It's used, a formal version of this is, are the deacons in the church. They are the, the official servants of the church trying to meet needs. But you'll notice that it's equipping the saints for the work of ministry. So all the saints are ministers. Biblically, all of us are ministers. Now, I don't think the IRS wants you putting that down there, okay? Okay, that's, they've got a different set of definitions, but a biblical definition is if you belong to Jesus, if you belong to God, you're supposed to be serving, okay? Now, why are you serving? You ever feel like you, like, work your fingers to the bone, and you're like, what's it for? Okay? You can feel that way about a job. You know, oh, it's a paycheck, it's whatever, but what's it for? What's, what, what does it really matter? Well, you are serving for building up the body of Christ, okay? So this word, um, the idea, you know, think about a construction project. So instead of uh, demolition work, you're doing construction. Instead of tearing down, you are building up. And what you're building up is the body of Christ. We're individual members of the body of Christ your job and your serving is to build up the entire body. We, now, we still don't know what do we mean by building up. Like, does that mean like we, uh, we're, we're all like John Lehman going around encouraging everybody? Way to go, man. Go, go for it. We do need guys like that, John, right? But is that all this means? Actually, think about Owen and what it would take for him to grow up to be big as his dad and strong as his dad and smart as his dad, okay? Somebody's got to serve him in a way that he grows up that way, that he's built up 
that way. And, and that leads us to the goal of these gifts. The goal of these gifts. And we see that, this word, until. This is going to tell us where we're going, what we're trying to get to, until we all attain. This isn't just about a few people in the church being built up to where they're mature, but till we all attain to the unity. Now, we've been talking a lot about unity here in Ephesians. Okay? For it to be unity, there has to be a lot of people. It's just, you know, if one person walks in the room and says, hey, I am totally unified. Okay. <laughs> We're glad because we hate to see you all separated all over the floor. Uh, but when we talk about a, a many people, many parts, individual members being unified, you know, everybody's got to be involved in that. So, and, and it's something we're, we're pushing toward. It's something we're protecting. Well, what kind of unity are we talking about? Is it just that, hey, every now and then we get together and sing Kumbaya, and, and we all go, hey, I'm good with, you know, different strokes for different folks. I'm good with you. You're good with me. I'll scratch your back. You scratch mine. We're just, can't we just all get along? And I'll affirm you and you affirm. Is that what unity is? No, it's unity, particularly of the faith. And whenever you see this definite article, the faith, we're not talking about just faith that you're exercising. We're talking about the truths in which you're exercising faith, what you're relying on, the truths that you believe, the truths that you're willing to stand on and live by. We're talking about really those truths that make up the gospel. We're talking about the truths that every believer really has to believe and, and understand at least to some degree, but has to hold to and, and hold on to. John has talked about this. You have to believe that God the Son was sent by God the Father in human flesh, and that He died on the cross and paid for our sins, that He rose again. You have to believe that. You, 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 you can't take that away and still have the faith. So there's unity of the faith, but there's also unity, and this word goes both with this and it goes with this, unity of the knowledge I'm getting a little messy here, so, okay, unity of the knowledge. So, there's unity, we're coming together, we're, we're saying the same thing, we're holding to the same truth, both in what is taught and of the knowledge, and this is, this is a strengthened form of the word knowledge that has the idea of experiential knowledge, like you actually know Jesus, not just that you know about Him, but you know Him personally. So, of the knowledge of the Son of God. So, we want to have a doctrinal knowledge that we're unified in, and we want to have an experiential knowledge that we're unified in, that of the person of the Lord Jesus. And as we do that, remember this building up word here has us look forward to maturity, to mature manhood. I want to be a grown-up spiritually as a believer. Well, what does that mean? He defines it. To the measure of the stature, that would be like the height, that's the stature of a person, 
of the fullness of Christ. And you talk about who Jesus is, when you talk about how Jesus talked, when you, when you look at how he loved people, I mean, that's amazing. How does this even happen? I mean, he's God the Son. How can you and I reach a maturity level where we're really anything like God the Son? But remember, Paul has already prayed that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. Okay? And, and also remember, we're not talking just about the individuals reaching maturity. We're talking about the whole body reaching maturity. Well, what does that look like? Well, John, the apostle, has actually been talking about this in our series in 1 John. Remember, what, how does he say that God's love is perfected in us? How does it reach the goal? How does it attain the goal? It's when we love one another. When we love one another. Um, mature manhood, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, is, is when... We look, act like Jesus in his self-sacrificing love. And, and John's been hammering that to us. He says, look, he, he gave up himself. He sacrificed himself. You ought to do the same. How, how can you trust a God who's shown his love to you by sacrificing himself, and then you not be willing to sacrifice yourself for the good of your brothers? And he says, you need to make this really practical. Don't just talk about it, but, but when you see a need, you jump on it and you meet it. God's love perfected in us is another way of saying we've become mature in that we love one another in the way that Christ loved us. He gave himself up for us. He made the first move. We try to make the first move with people wherever we see the need. So, when you look at all this together, and the reason it hangs together so well with 1 John is because the apostles are teaching the same gospel, and they're pointing to the same Jesus, and God is doing this work, and he, and he gave these teachers, you know, he, he, okay, he did, he's not going to give us a missions pastor so that Joel Gearhart can do all the mission work. No, Joel's job will be to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to equip people to be part of the mission. Um, that is true for all of us. We're, we're not the only ones doing ministry. Rather, we're, our main ministry is to equip people, is to equip people, to model it, to teach on it, um, to mobilize folk so that they will serve Jesus as well and serve others with Jesus' love. So, Christ's gifts, um, gifts from the conquering Christ. He's conquered death itself. He rules over all. He intercedes for us. And he has given us these amazing gifts of grace because of that victory. That's the occasion. And he's giving it through individuals, not just these guys, but also everybody who gets a gift from the Spirit. It's for the profiting of the whole body. The function is to build up the body and all the saints to be serving, and then the goal is ultimately that we would look like Jesus in the way that we live. And I want to say that's not just for kids. <laughs> but it's for kids too. You know what's cool about this, what I love about this? is It's not, it's not age-graded, Okay? So, if I know Jesus, 
I can be serving in this way. I'm one of the saints. I can be growing this way. I, I can be a kid who reminds people of Jesus. I, I can be in my last years of life, you know, the, the years when a lot of people get really grumpy and crossity, and I can, instead of being grumpy and crossity, I can, I can be like Jesus in the way I interact with people. And we have people like that in our body, and we want our whole body to grow up to be that way for the glory of the conquering Christ who's made all this possible. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word and... Lord, thank you for what you're doing in and through us. And if you weren't doing it, it would seem like a total, total impossibility. But to know that you are at work this way, and you have been at work this way ever since the ascension of Jesus, um, is really stunning. When we look at church history, when we look at what you've done in the lives of people we even know, God, we're, we're amazed at your goodness and your grace, greatness and your grace to us. And Lord, we look at our own church family, the way you've united our hearts. We pray that we might serve one another in a way that builds us up to be like Jesus. In whose name we pray.